but first to the latest developments from Gaza. As we speak, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken is in Israel to discuss a proposed truce deal with Hamas, which uh, is being negotiated with the assistance of Qatar. Now, the death toll in Gaza now stands close to 28,000, with nearly 70,000 wounded since the October 7 attack by Hamas, which of course killed uh, 1,200 people in Israel. Israel has until the 25th of February to report to the International Court of Justice on what action it is taking to prevent death, destruction and any acts of genocide in Gaza after the court found there is a plausible risk that genocide is happening. The court also called on Hamas to release the hostages still in captivity. To help us understand what all this means, we have two very special guests. Professor Ben Saul is the United Nations Special Rapporteur on the Human Rights and Counterterrorism. He's also the chair, the chalice chair of international law at the University of Sydney. Regina Weiss is a human rights barrister and former prosecution trial lawyer at the International Criminal Court where she spent seven years prosecuting war crimes and crimes against humanity. Ben, we'll uh, come back to discussing hopes for a ceasefire, but uh, let's start with the ruling by the ICJ, which says Israel now has a responsibility to prevent genocide. Have you seen any evidence that this is happening? Good evening, Philip. That's right. The International Court ordered Israel to both prevent acts of genocide, but also not to commit genocide itself through its own forces. Uh, the court detailed uh, in part the definition of, of uh, genocide, which includes essentially ordering Israel not to kill members uh, of uh, of the Palestinian group in Gaza, cause serious harm to them, uh, inflict conditions of life on them calculated to bring out, bring about uh, its uh, physical destruction uh, or imposing measures on the group intended to prevent births. So if any of that is being done by Israel with a genocidal intent to destroy uh, Gazans uh, in whole or in part, then Israel must uh, not only cease those acts itself, but prevent any of its rogue forces from committing those acts uh, as well. It was now, a very Israel, emphatic course, judgment, 15 to 2. That's right. And uh, I think you need to remember that at the provisional measures phase, uh, what the court was finding was that there is a, a plausible risk uh, of genocide occurring in uh, in Gaza. It's made no finding on the merits that genocide is actually occurring. So I think the crux of this is that uh, to the extent that Israel is animated by a genocidal intent in any of the kind of harm it's inflicting on Gazan civilians, then it must cease those acts. Israel would claim, of course, it's not uh, animated by any genocidal intent and that, that it's just fighting a, a very difficult war, which necessarily harms civilians in the process. But that, according to Israel, uh, is legal under international humanitarian law. Regina, Israel insists that its war is with Hamas and not with the Palestinian people and that it's acting to prevent collateral damage by, uh, well, 
dropping leaflets before initiating any airstrikes and sending text messages to people in target areas. Is that likely to be seen as, well, good enough by the ICJ? That's simply not good enough, um, Philip. We can see in the civilian death toll, 27,000, nearly 28,000, as you said, and over 70,000 injured, hundreds of thousands, millions displaced and famine coming to over 100,000 people. Now, that is not proportionate. There are rules of law, um, rules of war that prevent that sort of civilian casualties and Israel has not complied with those. Perhaps it uh, would be good here to explain the differences between the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court where you worked Uh, and therefore the scope of what each can do. Useful indeed. Thank you, Philip. So where I worked at the International Criminal Court, I worked for the Prosecution Office and we had jurisdiction and the Prosecution Office has jurisdiction over individuals who are criminally responsible for war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide. Now, the International Court of Justice is states versus states. So it's not individuals. And I'm really glad that you've brought up the International Criminal Court, Philip, because in all of this focus on the International Court of Justice, which is very important, and genocide, of course, is very important, we mustn't forget there's a a live investigation going on this minute in the International Criminal Court into Palestine. It's been live since 2021 and it goes back to 2014. So arrests warrants could and should be issued for those responsible. I'll circle back to that, but the Geneva Convention is still crucial. Israel is, of course, a signatory. Well, of course, they're not a signatory to the International Criminal Court, um, but the Geneva Conventions apply. And Hamas is a non-state actor, so the ICJ has no uh, jurisdiction. The International Criminal Court does have jurisdiction over the state of Palestine and the pretrial chamber in 2021 confirmed that. So that's when Fatou Ben Souda, the former prosecutor of the ICC, opened an investigation and it's still open. So there is an investigation into Palestine. Ben... One of the things the ICJ needs to consider in making its decision is intent. Now, that means, I guess, looking at the language around the war. What have we seen there? Well, certainly there have been many, many statements, and these were cited by by South Africa in the international court proceedings by very senior Israeli officials from the prime minister down, uh, military leaders, uh, other ministers in in the government, essentially directly and publicly inciting genocide against Palestinians. Um, uh, I mean, those statements have been incredibly dehumanising. They've cited paragraphs from the Bible calling for the extermination of Israel's enemies. This is one of the clearest parts of the case uh, that I think is is quite easy for South Africa to establish on the merits. 
uh, that these genocidal statements have uh, have have been spoken. Uh, and of course, that's a crime under uh, international law for individuals. So that could be prosecuted before the International Criminal Court. And quite apart from whether particular statements are genocidal or not, they're certainly hate-filled uh, and uh, and dehumanising uh, against Palestinians. But there's a, a enough of them uh, targeted at all Palestinians to establish beyond doubt that there have been incitements to genocide. And as you suggested, Netanyahu has uh, said that Israel's soldiers were a part of a legacy that uh, went back 3,000 years. That's right. And and look, one of the orders here is that Israel has to prevent and punish these incitements to genocide. I think one of the problems, of course, is that systemically over many decades, the Israeli military and regular justice systems have just not properly held to account Israeli forces accused of serious international crimes. Regina, is it fair to say that the rhetoric has been, well, incendiary on both sides? Well, of course. I think there should be uh, investigations on both sides. Hamas and Israel have both committed war crimes um, and have spouted similar language. So it should be investigated equally. Ben, what about member states of the UN? Does this require them to put pressure on Israel to comply with the ruling? Certainly, because the Genocide Convention is a multilateral treaty which creates obligations for all states. That means that all countries uh, have an interest in ensuring compliance with the convention uh, and a duty, and this is the, the, a point made by the International Court in the Bosnia and Serbia genocide case back in 2007, every country has a duty to employ all means reasonably available to them to prevent genocide as far as possible. The court went on to say that uh, countries which have a, a special capacity to influence for example, an ally or a friend, uh, must exercise uh, that capacity especially. So states like the United States or even Australia, which have close ties with Israel, uh, have a heightened duty to uh, ensure Israel complies. Regina, does this ruling imply that, well, does it imply responsibility on the part of countries that are supplying armaments to a country that the ICJ has said is plausibly committing genocide. Well, that could be seen as being complicit. In fact, if uh, Israel doesn't comply with the decision of the International Court of Justice, uh, the UN could issue sanctions and arms embargoes on Israel for non-compliance. So complicity is certainly something that is relevant here. Ben, do you agree? I do. So uh, states uh, must not only prevent genocide by other states, but not uh, also actively uh, support or assist or facilitate um, the commission of genocide. So if a country has knowledge or, or awareness that Israel is committing genocide and then supplies the means for the, those acts of genocide to be continued, then absolutely they are responsible under international law. Ben, I want to now look at the very vexed issue of funding for UNRWA, the only aid organisation supplying crucial food into, into Gaza. They say that by the end of the month, they may have to stop their humanitarian operation. What would this mean for the people of Gaza, Ben? 
The humanitarian situation in Gaza is catastrophic and and has been for months now. Uh, And UN agencies have been repeatedly warning of famine uh, and starvation as a result of the stringency of Israel's blockade and its, its excessive control of aid getting into Gaza. Uh, Look, these uh, allegations uh, against UNRWA personnel have not been substantiated and Israel has not presented public evidence uh, of these links. Uh, If there are links, then of course uh, UNRWA is doing the appropriate thing, which is investigating and it's stood down its employees. It's important that those employees, by the way, get due process in in that uh, investigative process. But I I do think that the uh, reaction of a number of Western states, including Australia, has been grossly disproportionate. Uh, To cut off funds to the only humanitarian agency providing uh, assistance on the scale that UNRWA is in the midst of grave risks of famine and starvation is incredibly disproportionate given the very small number of UNRWA staff uh, alleged to be involved. These states have not put in place any alternatives to UNRWA, so their solution seems to be that Palestinian civilians should starve. Uh, I mean, that's a clear violation of the duty of those states under the Geneva Convention to ensure respect for international humanitarian law and not to impede uh, the the, the flow of humanitarian relief, which all states uh, are under an obligation to respect. Regina, a a report from Channel 4 in the UK today cast doubt over the evidence uh, Israel presented on uh, UNWA about uh, employees' alleged involvement in the October 7 attacks. Do we know what evidence there was? I'm certainly not privy to it, but I have to agree with Ben entirely. They deserve due process. A proper investigation needs to be made to ascertain whether or not they were complicit in in, uh, the the 7th of October attack. I do recall in the Rwandan genocide in 1994, there were UN employees that were uh, investigated for assisting the attacks um, and the genocide, where, which killed a million people. Certainly funding wasn't cut off then. I'm not quite sure why it's been done now. And I agree with Ben, that's been entirely disproportionate and quite an extraordinary reaction after the International Court of Justice has ordered that um, humanitarian aid should be facilitated, not stopped. It seems only yesterday the little wireless program was reporting on those events in Rwanda. Ben, we've seen our Defence Minister, Richard Miles, uh, say that it was appropriate to pause payments to UNRWA based on these allegations and that uh, the Australian government needs to see transparency from the organisation. Your response to that? Well, it's UNRWA itself which announced an investigation immediately uh, as soon as these allegations came to light. So UNRWA is being totally transparent. Um, uh, As I I mentioned, um, I I think it's utterly disproportionate uh, to prevent funding to 12,000 UNRWA staff providing assistance to over 2 million uh, Palestinians at risk of starvation. Uh, at just great, risk, at great number, risk to themselves. 
That's right. And, and I mean, recall that a, a, a very significant number of UNRWA staff, over 100, have been killed in the last three months of this, uh, of this campaign. So doing their job amidst incredibly dangerous circumstances to assist uh, uh, Palestinians. So, look, I, I, I think the appropriate thing for countries like Australia to do would be to await the outcome of the investigation and then adopt a proportionate response. And that response should be, of course, uh, discipline and, and punishment of any UNRWA staff involved in these activities, uh, but not to punish uh, every uh, other Palestinian, more than 2 million of them, who will be deprived of essential aid uh, as a result of these suspension decisions. Staying with you, Ben, the Australian Executive uh, Council of, Jew of Jewry have, uh, have said that they would prefer to see another agency altogether uh, than you know, to be delivering aid in Gaza, but that's entirely unrealistic, is it not? It's complete pie in the sky. I, I mean, to, to to seriously believe that you could get a, a large-scale organisation up and running in the midst of an incredibly intense active armed conflict to service over 2 million people is plainly ridiculous. I mean, that would take uh, years to, to get up and running at, at, at that scale. So it's not a solution for the, the, the present context. And indeed, the Israeli government itself doesn't want that to happen. Regina, on the legalities here, one of the orders of the ICJ on the 26th of Jan was for Israel to take a, quote, immediate and effective measures to ensure the uh, provision of urgently needed basic services and humanitarian assistance to address the adverse conditions of life faced by Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. How does this interact with the decision to cease funding the UNRWA? Well, it doesn't. It's it's complete. It's the complete opposite reaction to what the the ICJ has ordered um, to hinder. It's hindering rather than facilitating. You remind us that uh, about Rwanda, but this is a, a a very clear echo. It certainly is. It certainly is. And you know, um, in three months, nearly a million people died there. In uh, Gaza, we've had a huge portion of the population uh, displaced, killed. Uh, you know, it's history repeating and it shouldn't be happening. Regina, could Australia's decision to suspend funding constitute collective punishment? In other words, could we also be accused of failing to prevent genocide? Uh, look, that's a that's a big call. Um, I certainly think we're not positively assisting. Uh, we do have a duty to prevent genocide under the Genocide Convention, and what what Australia has done is certainly not helping. Ben, your thoughts? Look, I, I think uh, this case has been brought obviously because the International Court has jurisdiction over genocide. Uh, I, I would say. Quite apart from those issues, uh, of course, we shouldn't lose sight of the systematic violations of international humanitarian law that are clearly being committed by Israel uh, in this conflict. Uh, that includes the war crime of starvation, so deliberately denying uh, the humanitarian relief necessary to sustain uh, over 2 million people 
uh, stuck in a situation of blockade for more than three months where local food supplies have uh, been completely exhausted. Uh, so uh, I think uh, it's not only about a duty to prevent genocide, it's a duty uh, to uh, ensure respect for humanitarian law by Israel. And I don't think that uh, Australia is assisting in that by itself, cutting off funding to, to UNRWA. I also don't think Australia uh, is doing enough uh, to use all the tools at its disposal uh, to prevent Israel from violating uh, international humanitarian law. We could impose sanctions. We could suspend diplomatic relations. We could take other countermeasures by suspending trade or technical cooperation. We haven't done any of that, despite the immense scale of Israel's violations uh, every day over the last three months. Ben, what do you think of the timing of the decision to pull funding following the, the ruling by the ICJ? I think it's completely own deaf. Uh, I think it shows a kind of contempt for the international court, which Australia, uh, as a party to the statute of the court, uh, uh, is is absolutely bound to respect. Uh, and I really think it undermines uh, international efforts to subject this dispute to independent adjudication by an impartial court rather than uh, playing the politics of, of allies uh, and, you know, siding with your friend regardless of what your friend might be doing to civilians in violation of international law. Regina, I want to talk more now about Australia's role when there is plausible evidence that genocide is taking place. How should we be responding? Look, one of the... The, we've been party, Australia's been party to the International Criminal Court from the very beginning. Even before it was created, we were instrumental in drafting the Rome Statute. Now, when Ukraine happened, we, Australia and the world, threw huge amounts of funding at the International Criminal Court and particularly the Prosecution Office. Unprecedented. I'd never seen it before when I was working there. We used to beg for a budget. Now, why aren't we doing the same thing in in the uh, Gaza and Palestine investigation? There's a start. You've got Australian investigators and prosecutors working over there. Why are we not providing the same support and the same pressure to investigate those war crimes, genocide, crimes against humanity in Gaza? Regina, let's go back to Senator Lyd Lydia Thorpe who has introduced a bill to uh, strengthen Australia's uh, commitment to an international human rights by giving fuller effect to the Convention on the Prevention and Punishment of the Crime of Genocide. How might that work? Mm. Look, I've had a look at that bill that was introduced today. Um, first and foremost, it's always good to remind uh, the, the Australian public that we indeed are, um, uh, you know, have um, enforcing the uh, Genocide Convention, so that's really important. But what this bill proposes is that the Attorney-General is taken out of the picture when it comes to whether or not we, we um, start proceedings of war crimes, crimes against humanity and genocide in Australia. At the moment, the Attorney-General has to agree in writing that any such proceedings uh, commence in Australia. Now, I'm not sure how useful that is in international law context because 
The International Criminal Court works on the principle of complementarity. So the International Criminal Court has jurisdiction over a state if that state is unwilling or unable itself to investigate and prosecute those crimes. If a war crime has been committed by Australia or by an Australian national or on Australian soil and Australia doesn't prosecute it, it doesn't matter whether the Attorney-General has or has not given his approval. The International Criminal Court has jurisdiction under the principle of complementarity. Ben Lydia Thorpe says Australia has been falling short of and even... Well, even intentionally avoiding its obligations. There has been a long history of that, of course, because uh, between 1948 and 2002, Australia uh, didn't even bother to make genocide a crime under Australian domestic law because Parliament said we're a democracy, we would never commit genocide. And, uh, of course, in the back of their mind was concern about uh, the treatment of Indigenous Australians being classified as genocide. For the last two decades, it has been a crime. Um, uh, we, 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 we certainly have intervened in the International Court of Justice case involving Ukraine and Russia, which involves a, a genocide argument. We didn't, on the other hand, intervene in the Myanmar case where the actual commission of genocide is much more uh, obvious. Uh, and I think there's a there's a, a geopolitical problem here uh, where we do tend to intervene uh, in in some cases, but not others, for political rather than rather than legal reasons. We could absolutely do much more. Uh, we could intervene in the, the current Israel case before the international court. Uh, which so far we haven't indicated we would do. And by intervene, I, I mean intervene on the side of South Africa, or on the progressive side, not to try to block the progress of uh, of, of that case. Um, look, uh, on Lydia Thorpe's bill, um, domestically, I think removing the Attorney General's consent would be a positive thing because that would remove a, a kind of political impediment uh, to advancing prosecutions where the government might say, well, for di diplomatic reasons, or geopolitical reasons, we, we just don't want the embarrassment of this kind of case uh, proceeding. So leave it to the independent prosecutors to make decisions about prosecution uh, based on the merits of the case and the strength of the evidence, eliminate those political considerations. So Thorpe is making a useful contribution to the discussion. Uh, on that point, uh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we have legislated the crime of genocide. We, we haven't also legislated the international duty to prevent genocide, which at the moment is kind of left to the level of foreign policy discretion. Uh, so certainly, you know, something in, in that area could be could be fruitful as well. Now, staying with you, Ben, let's turn to the uh, the hope of a ceasefire. In the introduction, I mentioned uh, the US Secretary of State has arrived in Tel Aviv to try and uh, progress a deal. What will it take, in your view, to achieve this? Well, some of the issues in play in the ceasefire and negotiations have been, of course, the release of hostages, which were uh, illegally uh, taken by, uh, by, the, by Hamas and which clearly constitute war crimes. Uh, influx of more humanitarian aid, uh, but also this, you know, this big root cause issue of recognition of a Palestinian state and respect for Palestinian self-determination, which has been denied for many, many decades now. Uh, now, Israel has said it, it, it simply won't 
give up control over Gaza, despite uh, the US and the United Nations and most of the world uh, pushing for it to recognise a Palestinian uh, a Palestinian state. So, really, you know, as has been the case in this dispute forever, the ball is in Israel's court. Uh, I mean, it's the powerful state with military occupation over the Palestinian territories. Uh, it, you know, it can call the shots, um, uh, and so we really need some kind of good faith move uh, by Israel uh, to, to give something to, 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 to resolve this conflict once and for all. We also need that from Hamas aside, of course, by the way. Uh, I mean, they must face uh, justice. It's hard to see how Hamas uh, can play a long-term political role uh, in, uh, in, a, in a future settlement, given the atrocities it has committed. At the same time, uh, you know, not every member of Hamas is a is a war criminal. I mean, Hamas is also a political movement. It's a, it's been a government uh, for a, for a very long time now. Uh, so disentangling those elements will be important to achieve a sustainable peace. Regina, Israel has until the twenty fifth of this month to report to the ICJ, and uh, some say that the six measures they ordered effectively add up to a ceasefire. What happens if one isn't achieved? Well, that will be up to the international community then to to consider what needs to be done. Um, you know, reporting back, it, it's quite a broad concept and I'm sure it can be interpreted, um, it will be interpreted uh, by Israel in, the bro- in a broad context. So whether or not a report is compliant with the um, International Court of Justice order remains to be seen. If there is no compliance and, you know, it looks like since the decision was handed down on the 26th of January, um, bombs continue to drop, civilians continue to die. Um, It looks like things have not been complied with. Israel may say it has. It's then that the next step needs to be taken and it can be taken to the UN Security Council. And at this point, um, it'll be very important and very interesting to see if veto powers are exercised in any any uh, UN Security Council motion. Now, you said earlier that there should be arrest warrants issued by the ICC for both Hamas and Israel for war crimes. Yes. Yes. And look, the the threshold for issuing an arrest warrant isn't high. You need to have reasonable grounds to believe that a war crime or has been committed. That's not a high threshold. It's not beyond reasonable doubt. And what, from what I've seen myself, and I haven't been on the ground, from what I've seen, orders have been made for war crimes to be committed by members of the war cabinet. You've got hard evidence on the ground, mass graves of people with hands handcuffed behind their back, shot in the back, handcuffs on their on their um on their wrists war crime ev- evidence of war crimes you've got refugees coming streaming out who are no doubt eyewitnesses this is all evidence that's enough to bring before the chambers of the international criminal court and seek an arrest warrant not a high threshold i thank you both for coming on the program you've been enormously um, helpful i've been talking to regina Weiss barrister and former prosecution trial lawyer at the International Criminal Court. 
and to Professor Ben Saul, Chalice Chair of International Law at the University of Sydney and the United Nations Special Rapporteur on Human Rights and Counter-Terrorism. Thank you both. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.